also I think just seeing the relationship blossom over the last several years between the team at Kaya and the Easy Germany organization to me has actually just been personally very, very gratifying. Hi, I'm Marianne Bohr with Hims. Today I'm joined by Amea Fadke, patient non-farm solutions leader at Chiesi Pharmaceuticals, Dennis Herman, head of Europe at Kaya Health, and Dan Weinstein, associate principal digital medicine practice lead at ZS. We'll be talking about opportunities and challenges for pharma health tech partnerships. And before we start, I want to say thank you to ZS for sponsoring this podcast. Amea, Dennis, Dan, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much for having us. Um, you know, I think it's a it's a it's a really interesting time in the industry, and you know, obviously, really looking forward to a fun conversation. Fantastic. So, may I'll start with you. What's the nature of your partnership with Kaya Health, and what led Casey to form it, and what are you hoping Happy to, to achieve? Happy to talk about that. I would say just before um, I continue, I would just like to clarify. So, you know. I'll, very happy to kind of share kind of my own experiences as someone who has been really passionate about this partnership. Um, you know, at the same time, uh, I am kind of speaking on behalf of my own experiences. And so, you know, this is not kind of an official statement on behalf of Keys or anything like that. Like I'm really speaking on behalf of myself and and not my employer, but we can definitely touch into that. So, you know, when when we really think of why I was so passionate about this, and I mean, this partnership has kind of really been... Um, really been something that um, I remember the discussion in Parma back in 2019 that led to the genesis of it. You know, it was really about finding opportunities to um, improve the lives of patients, but with an important twist, regardless of whether that involved medication or not, right? So pharma companies will typically, when they look at digital programs, will usually try to find some kind of angle that's connected to their core medications and things like that. Um, from my perspective, I think that is a little bit limiting in terms of what we can do as an industry to kind of address the problems of patients. And, you know, we saw kind of the lack of access to kind of really high quality um, pulmonary rehabilitation is just a, a very well recognized issue in in the industry. It's, you know, across the world. And I kind of saw a really cool opportunity um, instead of just talking about it to, to partner with a company and a team that I think we've s- since then built a really wonderful relationship with to actually do something about it. Excellent. And uh, Dennis, I'll uh, take it to you then. Uh, what's been your overall journey and experience in partnering with KIC? Overall, we've uh, had a great experience. As uh, Maya said, <laughs> we've been working for quite some time together. If you think about partnerships, they're really about creating a bigger sum of its parts, right? And I think that's really what we've achieved to do by bringing both expertise together we focused really on bringing that value to patients and we sat down together to think about, okay, how can we do that? Um, and I think what is really important is that we both recognize each areas of expertise and we both recognize the value that both partners can bring. But more importantly, we actually recognize the value that eventually can be done through solutions we offer at Kaya Health, uh, which are essentially digital therapeutics. I see. So, uh, Dan, I'll ask you next. Why do you think there should be pharma and health tech partnerships? And what do you think are the benefits? We're in the last decade or two, a lot of us are on this quest to bring digital tools to improve patient outcomes. Um, that's this digital health revolution that's happening. And it, it begs this question of who really should own that? Should it be traditional therapeutic companies? 
Should it be health tech innovators? Should it be healthcare delivery companies? I think the kind of jury's still out of who should own digital health. And one of the things that's emerged is that something is new for different players. If it's a pharma company doing it, the tech part is new. If it's a tech native tech company, the healthcare part is new. So these partnerships are a great way to complement. So if you think kind of a health tech company, what they tend to be great at tend to be great product companies with um, core tech strengths, user-centric approach. Um, they can quickly and nimbly react and do all the things that kind of great tech companies do to build great products. And now at this phase of digital health, there's some great products out there. Been at it for a while and now have pretty robust, mature products. But where things can be difficult for them, some of the complexities of healthcare, so some of the regulatory challenges, considerations, the kind of level of clinical evidence that can be required. One of the core challenges is just how to commercialize it. We have these great products, but how do you how do you monetize them? How do you turn them into viable businesses? And then on the flip side, pharma tends to be great at a lot of the core fundamentals of healthcare. Um, and maybe not so good at some of the other things we just mentioned. So there's a nice complementary component there. Pharma has resources is also an important aspect of this. So they represent near-term and long-term paths to patients and paths to viable commercial uh, opportunities. What we've seen is as the world is trying to figure out who should own digital health, pharma has tried different models. Um, they've tried to build things, they've tried to buy things. And I, I think lately there's an understanding or more an understanding of how difficult it is to learn how to do the tech part of it and how to build solutions. And so I think this this partnership model, we're seeing more and more of it of pharma's looking to partner with existing companies. The other side of it is those companies are kind of more and more mature. Kaya has been around for a while, like they're ready to partner, whereas, you know, in the past it hadn't been so ready. If I may jump in, I think there's a couple of interesting things, I think that I've observed, um, not only kind of from the partnership with Kaya, but from other ones in the industry, right? And that, I think that is that pharma, I think, tends to oversimplify certain things and overcomplicate others and times both to, to its detriment. So I'll give you an example of an area that I think pharma drastically tends to oversimplify, right? On one side, it's the tech part where they say, oh yeah, we'll just hire a team of developers and we'll build an app, right? And we know that that is kind of, it's a very much a pennywise pound foolish approach. I think the other area where I think pharma thinks sometimes that it is better than it actually is, is even on the evidence generation piece, right? I think there's a lot of understanding within the industry that, well, you know, running digital therapeutic studies is... If you can run a pharmaceutical study, you can run a digital therapeutic study. And I can tell you that the two are very, very, very different. And we've seen some fairly well-publicized failures in the space where large pharma tried to run a DTX study and just couldn't execute on it. And so that's also, I think, when you look at maturity of a digital therapeutics company, it is also the ability to run studies to generate that evidence. And I think that a lot of times I think maybe gets not brushed under the carpet, but I think gets overshadowed by the tech capabilities. But I would argue that the evidence generation piece is just as important as the tech piece. And again, it is an area that kind of incumbent pharma is not nearly as good at it as I think a lot of companies think they are. And so I think a lot of it is just being intellectually honest about what you bring to the table and what you need to partner out for. Absolutely. It's a mutually beneficial relationship where they each learn from each other. And I think pharma... Stand, can stand to learn a ton from health tech companies. Well, and approach it like a partnership of two equals, right? I mean, quite often when a part pharma company partners with a digital health company, it's often the pharma company kind of coming at it from a position of maybe self-implied superiority, right? Where they say, well, you know, you should feel lucky to partner with us. The reality is 
you know, my philosophy is it should be a pharma company pitching to the tech company is like, why should you trust us as a custodian of your solution? Which I know is a little bit of a dramatic reversal. Um, but that to me, I think is kind of the approach, right? Is why should a, you know, why as a pharma company, are you deserving of the trust that a digital company is providing you in terms of taking their product to scale. And just to add to that, it's also that both don't just see it as a project, right? Like in a partnership, the company, the manufacturer, us, so to say, shouldn't think about the pharma company as a project that they just want to partner with and then see what happens. But both need to believe in in what can be achieved and uh, need to believe in the success. I think that was also quite important for us when we entered into this kind of partnership that we said. We know from the conversations we've had, from the plans that we've made, that Keithy is willing and interested to make this, not just see it as a side project that they're looking into for a couple of months and then basically losing interest. Absolutely. Now, Amaya and Dennis, I'm going to come back to the two of you. What has worked well about the partnership and what maybe hasn't worked quite as well? So um, I think one thing, and I'd love to say a lot of these things were by design, but the reality is I think some of it was serendipity. You know, as an example, involving the country teams right at the outset, even when we were kind of years away from any kind of formal commercialization, in retrospect, to me was something that it's a little mind-blowing that it doesn't happen more often in the industry, right? So as an example, when we did the partnership, the Kiesi Germany organization was in lockstep and we effectively kind of built Keezy German and a couple of the other countries as well. And getting the countries on board from the very beginning, number one, I think also hopefully sent the right signal to the team that at Kaya saying, this is not just some pet projects of some guy at corporate that's, you know, going to be funded with a little bit of innovation fund money and then kind of just die a slow death. Like this is one where um, there actually is a little bit of momentum behind this in terms of there's there's a there there involving the country team, um, not just as a participant, but as a co-leader to me has actually been also, I think, just seeing the relationship blossom over the last several years between the team at Kaya and the Easy Germany organization to me has actually just been personally very, very gratifying. On the flip side of that is um, I personally, you know, sometimes it's hard to let go of your your pet pet initiative. And so I, I know one area that I've certainly had to work a little bit hard on is um getting a little bit more hands-off in the day-to-day. And again, I have wonderful colleagues in Germany to thank for that. I think the second piece is not just the German, the the country teams, but the other stakeholder that I think needs to come in a lot earlier in the process. Um, And again, this is something that was a bit serendipitous are the legal and compliance folks. Um, I think a lot of times pharma companies, um, especially on the innovation side, tend to look at legal and compliance as gatekeepers. Whereas I think if you leverage them early enough in the process, they can actually be enablers. And again, to me, I think that has also just been something that we've kind of have taken from this partnership and said, well, we should probably do that a little bit more often. I think what has worked really well is the good collaboration. So if you partner, that doesn't necessarily mean that everything just falls into place and it automatically works, right? You have to both work hard on making it work well and successful. And so good collaboration means you need to find a working mode where don't just theorize about things, but actually collaborate in the execution and find ways to actually make it happen. And I think this is a very important part, right? It's, it's not delegation from part one partner to the other. It's really sitting down and saying, okay, who's going to do what? In which areas do we need to collaborate and do it together? I think what has worked really well uh, in our partnership early on, we've actually established 
good processes in collaborating and communicating well and finding ways of, of how we can really get things done. And I think that that was really important. That, that brings me to the second point, which oftentimes I see is a challenge in partnerships, which in our, I think, nature of size of companies, it's just inherent a little bit. It's just the speed of execution needs to uh, varies, right? You have uh, different people that are involved and different sizes of teams in, in, in the partnerships. We found a good working mode there as well in just the ways we address things and plan ahead, but matching this execution speed, that was probably one of the things where we just needed to to work a little bit better on in the beginning. And uh, right now, we I think we have a good working mode there. And I think in some ways, maybe shielding the partnership from, I would say, some of just the bureaucratic realities that exist at large companies, I think was, I know, one of the things that required a little bit of work in the beginning. And I think a lot of times it's a frustration that more nimble and agile tech companies can have when working with kind of larger, more rigid pharmaceutical organizations. I think what really helped in terms of setting the right tone, and you know, they say everything happens for a reason. So we spent about a good year, year and a half, almost co-creating a partnership structure that could basically be mutually accretive. It was not a zero-sum discussion in, by any means. But then what's interesting is when we partnership discussions actually kind of got more substantive was white run COVID hit. And so that obviously, I think getting kind of the partnership off the ground took longer than it should have. But I think because it was at a time when you know, everyone was dealing with all these challenges, both on a professional, but also on a personal level, people having kids at home that weren't going to daycare or school, being able to manage all of that. I think it also from a dynamic, I think, honestly, just painted a dynamic where you just give the other party benefit of the doubt. And, you know, if there's a slip up, it almost always is not from a place of of intent. And I think that in many cases can be missing from kind of pharma kind of digital health partnerships. And I think because we effectively kind of dealt with this like crazy situation together right at the start of the partnership, I think it helped with a lot of the growing pains. Yeah. I mean, we literally, we, I think we got the partnership off the ground right during the heyday of right when things were getting really bad with, with the COVID lockdowns and everything. So wasn't easy. Would I, would I like to do that again? Um, probably not. Uh, but I do think it, it, it did kind of set a tone in terms of just you know, giving the other party a little bit of slack. And to that point, it also opened up the creativity. I think that's why we also found a collaboration mode that is very dynamic because all of us had to adjust a little bit to a different uh, working mode, right? And I think this way, it was a little bit more natural because suddenly everybody was just uh, collaborating with each other much uh, in a better way. Uh, and it also opened up the creativity uh, in terms of finding new opportunities um, and uh, exchanging these, right? I think this has always worked quite well that we're transparent and communicate with each other and bounce off ideas. What we also saw during the COVID waves was the move to more digitization in general. So that also, obviously, in the partnership, a lot of people that may have not touched a lot of digital elements in their lives uh, suddenly we're confronted with that and probably also had a better understanding for what we offer, which I think is uh, probably also beneficial in uh, for the partnership to understand how our digital therapy works and how it can be delivered to patients. It's such an interesting dynamic. You mentioned kind of the speed of different pace of business. Like there's like there's different types of companies. And when they first start working together, a lot of times when ZS gets called in is because it's it can be a struggle um, for the two working styles to to mesh. Um, and it's so interesting that just the force of COVID forced everybody to change their working style anyway. 
Well, looks like we have time for one more question. So, Dan, where do you see pharma and health tech partnerships going in the future? I think that we've seen a trend in more and more of these partnerships in this model being a, becoming a preferred model for pharma. Um, and I, I think I see that progressing in the near term. Um, there'll be more, we'll see more of these. Um, but I think it's, it's also very early days. And so I think the market is going to be learning how successful these things become. So a lot of, like a lot of them haven't launched yet or set to launch soon. So I think we'll learn a lot in the next few years. There's still some fundamental questions to be answered. Is value created from these partnerships? How is that value quantified and recouped? So for people doing stuff specifically tied to their medication, is that going to drive increased use of their products, increased out, improved outcomes, preference um, by patients or providers? Um, for some of these partnerships that are, have kind of less of a direct tie to a medication, it'd be really interesting to see how those pan out. And do patients benefit? Do pharma companies stick with that altruistic model? And so I think there'll be a lot of learning by watching. Um, I think there'll be a lot of learning by doing. I, I think these, you know, like all new things, there'll be some stumbles and some things won't work out. But these companies that I think are kind of on the forefront will learn a lot about some of these things we just talked about. Some of these things that seem so kind of uh, obvious, but you don't know until you do it, like trust and how do you work together? Um, and people who, the companies that figure that out will be way better situated for the future um, to do this again and again and to repeat it. Well, Amaya, Dennis, and Dan, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for sharing your insights. Thank you for having us. It was, uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful conversation. And of course, special thanks to ZS for sponsoring this podcast. Have a fantastic rest of your day.